0: This is Money Guide with Mary Stirk from Stirk Financial Services. Now here's Mary Stirk.
1: Welcome to Money Guide with Mary Stirk, and today's topic is estate planning with digital assets. Now, today I have with me Kelsey Banke. Welcome, Kelsey. Thank you, Mary. Kelsey is a certified financial planner at Stirk Financial, and Kelsey and I work together all of the time on people with their estate planning, and it's becoming interesting how the estate planning world continues to evolve. There's always something new.
0: (laughs) There is. (laughs) If you think about it, you know, 20 years ago, there wasn't very much people that had on their computers, and now we can't go anywhere, most of us, without our cell phones or don't really want to go anywhere without our cell phones right. is maybe the better response to that. Or so. you
1: take your laptop or your iPad with you everywhere. Mm-hmm.
0: Absolutely. <laughs> so uh, so
1: the estate planning of old was have a will. And then it evolved to have a will and uh, a couple other documents. So we always recommend that you have the will that you have the financial power of attorney and that you have the healthcare power of attorney. That's kind of the three pack of documents that is the standard document. So, Kelsey, share with people a little bit about what the financial power of attorney does.
0: Financial power of attorney would allow someone access to anything regarding your financial um, well being. Uh, so, for example, we can't talk to anybody on your accounts at Circ Financial unless you have a financial power of attorney if you've reached a point where you cannot act on your own behalf. Right. Um so even a spouse, even a, a child, we have to have that document legally t- to be able to discuss anything with them. So that needs to be put in place um, prior to you needing it. It's it's a lot easier um, process to go through. um, And it just helps us know who that person is if we ever get to that point.
1: And it's a standby document. It doesn't really do anything until you no longer can handle your financial matters yourself. And then it gives somebody the authority to act. So, the, the other um, power of attorney that we think is important to have is called the healthcare power of attorney. And it's kind of similar to a living will in that it says, you know, pull the plug or don't pull the plug. But it also broadens from there, you know. So, if you can't make the healthcare decisions yourself, you're basically appointing somebody to make them for you. So, first evolution was have a will, second evolution is have a will and the financial and the healthcare power of attorney. And now we're starting to see some additional things crop up in the estate planning that have to do with digital assets. So we wanted to spend a little bit of time talking about those and and what to do to protect your digital assets. So when I talk about digital assets, what I mean about that is the property that you own that is digital. And some of you might be wondering, what do I even mean by that? And, And how could that possibly have value that I need to put into my estate plan. And there was a study done in 2013 by McAfee, and they concluded that the average person has roughly $35,000 worth of assets stored on their digital devices. So what are some of those assets? Kelsey, are you a book reader?
0: I am. Actually, mine isn't so much books as it is music. Yours I'm is music I'm big side. into music. We have thousands of songs stored digitally. Um, In addition to that, uh, my husband has a recording studio, and and gone are the days of big, bulky recording studios with lots of big um, hardware, and it's more uh, software now. So he's got thousands and thousands of dollars in software for recording on his computer that as soon as we decided to talk about this topic, that's the first thing that came to mind. <laughs> so I that $35,000 figure, I can see that being the case. But yes, books marry for a lot of people. I know you read a lot. Um, music, photos. Um, a lot of people are storing their personal information, and I'm, I'm one of those. I don't I don't like a lot of paper in my house. It mm-hmm. clutters things. You have to maintain it. Um, I got real quickly into the digital world, and so I store a lot of historical information about our house, about our assets, about ourselves, our personal um, health and things like that online. And so if you're not properly uh, handling those things with your executor, your state um, planning documents, then you could be in some trouble.
1: So let's break this down a little bit. Let's first talk about some of the things that have value that are digital assets. So Kelsey, you mentioned music. I went out and I looked at my iTunes history uh, before doing this show and I have about $750 worth of past iTunes purchases that I've done. So I know that doesn't seem like a lot. And, and I'm guessing there's some people that don't have any purchased music. And there are some people that have thousands and thousands and thousands of purchased dollars worth of music that's out there. And the way that some of that works is, you know, your license for that music is yours. That's on your digital device, and it's your login. And those are not necessarily transferable to somebody that doesn't have rights to them. And you don't even really think about that. It's such a foreign concept to most people to think about, well, who's going to own my iTunes music stash when I'm gone? <laughs> That's not something that most people are talking about with estate planning.
0: <laughs> no, but it's very real. My, my iTunes catalog goes back to 1997, so... <laughs> Uh, that's when I first started getting downloaded music. So, um, maybe not with iTunes, but that's been transferred over to iTunes since then. But Mm -hmm. you can see how this is a new problem, but it's going to grow and grow and grow and compound as we go forward in time. So
1: yes, uh, especially with younger people who are more tech savvy, it's going to be a bigger, bigger problem for them than it is for people who still listen to the vinyl records. (laughs) I
0: have those too. (laughs) Those those are coming back, Mary. So maybe maybe not the eight tracks. If you still listen to eight tracks, then then that might be the case. But you probably not don't vital. need to
1: include eight tracks in your estate plan. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that. But so the the purchased music is a big thing. The purchased books is the next big thing. So like if you have a Kindle or if you have an iBooks reader or if you're somebody that reads books electronically, then the library that you have purchased is also again licensed to you not licensed to anybody else and and therefore not easily transferable to somebody else and you know how you have those big long things that they all say and you just scroll down to the bottom hit i agree <laughs> inside those big long documents that nobody ever reads is information about who owns that if you're not there anymore. Like, who? how can you transfer that? And they're not friendly to you. They're friendly to the companies. So, um, and I think that the digital book downloads is a bigger issue for an older generation. And I say that because, like, even my father, he reads more books on his iPad now than he does a regular book that he holds in his hand. And the reason for it is because he can translate them all into large print.
0: Yep, absolutely. So
1: it's easier for him to read that way. It's easier for his hands the older he gets to swipe the iPad than to hold a book and turn the pages. You know, just the act of holding the book can weaken hands over time. And so he, um, he's, he's got a much bigger library now of, digitally purchased books than he does an actual library of physical books. And I was surprised when I did some research to see that that is a trend in the baby boomer generation. And so your library of books can reach into the thousands upon thousands upon thousands of dollars too over time if you're a big reader. And transferring that library to somebody or even somebody having access to that library in the future is something that we're talking about Mm -hmm. when it comes to the estate planning. And then the last big thing that I think is um, the digital side of things for people that are maybe in the older generation is purchased movies.
0: Absolutely. I have a three-year-old. You would be impressed by my Disney collection. (laughs) But yes, um, nowadays, you know, you don't go to the store and rent a movie anymore. You just mm-hmm. go online and buy it. And I would agree that's going to be a, another one you want to protect because there's a lot of value in those.
1: I remember going to estate sales. I used to love to go to the estate sales where you would just buy a box of stuff and then you'd end up figuring out what was inside it later. <laughs> but I remember going to estate sales where they would have boxes and boxes and boxes of videos when they were the video cassettes
0: absolutely right
1: and then it translated to boxes and boxes and boxes of dvds and now with so much of the purchase movies online you go to an estate sale you don't see a box of digital movies you know on the computer you can't just transfer those and sell those mm-hmm. so it still has a value though and has to be dealt with um now The unique thing I think that goes down to the younger generation, though, is that they have developed an impressive stash of value in purchased video games. Yes. And that's something that I know I didn't think about at all until I realized that my son has a subscription where he's purchasing video games on a monthly basis. And now he has this massive collection of them on his computer I wouldn't even have the first clue of how to get into there and then know what to do with that, you know, or who then we could transfer that to. Presumably his brother would love to have them, you know, <laughs> if something ever happened to him. But it's a process to go through to figure out what to do with these things and then and then how to know who has the rights to them.
0: Yes. And, and along with the video games apps, there's apps that are free. There's apps that cost a couple of dollars. But there's apps out there that cost tens, twenties, hundreds of dollars just to download these apps and use. Uh-huh. And that's something that, you know, the, the more storage we get on those cell phones and those iPads, the more apps we're going to put on our phones as well. So um, keeping in mind that there could be a lot of value there that you might not recognize too.
1: Welcome back to Money Guide with Mary Sterk. And today we're talking about estate planning with your digital assets. So we highlighted a study in the first part of the show that points to the fact that as of 2013, the average person had roughly $35,000 worth of assets stored on their digital devices. And we've talked about how difficult that can be to transfer and that most people aren't even including that in their estate planning. So one of the things that we want to talk about is how to include that in your estate planning and then also to, how to make sure that you're setting your executor up in your estate planning for uh, the most success possible. So before I go any further, I want to just say that we have a great piece of information that we're giving away today. It's called the Beneficiary Guide, and it's something that we created that helps people deal with things once they've lost a loved one. And Kelsey and I spent a lot of time building this and putting it together. But the Beneficiary Guide not only helps you figure out what to do in the short term after you've lost a loved one, but the Beneficiary Guide is something that you fill out as a gift to your family that leaves them information about what they need to to know in order to deal with your stuff.
0: This is one of my most favorite pieces we've ever created. So (laughs) I'm not going to say much more than that because I could talk for days about this, but it is... A very, very valuable tool.
1: Yeah. And and you guys are going to want this. So listeners, just go ahead and reach out to us at strictfinancialservices.com and ask for the free beneficiary guide. You can call our office or you can email us right off the contact page and just ask for the beneficiary guide. We'll send it to you. But it's something that helps with this kind of planning. So it used to be that when an executor was having to deal with an estate, that the commonplace advice was just watch their mail. And as statements come in, then you'll know you have something to deal with. <laughs> this is not the best advice any longer. <laughs> no,
0: no, no, no. Considering I don't have a single financial statement mailed to my house, that would be right. very difficult yes, to work with.
1: so much comes to us online. Mm-hmm. But if you don't even have access to somebody's computer as the executor, if you can't figure out their digital footprint of what they have and where it all is, you are really going to be at a loss to protect and, and pass down that estate, right? So, one of the most valuable pieces of information, and this is part of what that beneficiary guide does for people, is it helps you make the list of where things are, helps you make your executor aware of where they need to go to find some things. So, Let's talk about the kind of things that you want to make sure that you have listed out for people. Number one, you want to make sure they understand where your digital assets sit. So if you have purchased music, if you have purchased movies, video games, books, things like that, you need to make a list of where those things are because those have some value and someone needs to take the steps to work on transferring them to the next owner. The next thing is, you need to make a list of your logins and your passwords, and keep this somewhere safe. I'm not saying that the logins and passwords themselves need to be readily available to everybody, but you need to have them stored somewhere where your executor can get to them so they can figure out what to do with your stuff. Now, I can't tell you how many times that we've had people know the logins and passwords to accounts And it's stored on somebody's computer that is password protected. (laughs) You're probably listening to this out there and laughing and thinking, oh, yeah, my passwords are all stored right on my computer in a list that I made conscientiously. But there's no way for my executor to know how to even open my computer. (laughs) So... Keep that in mind that if you're going to store these lists electronically, you need to put that one major password, to how to get into there, into a list somewhere, too.
0: And with passwords and logins changing all the time mm-hmm. nowadays, the the frequency required to change them is, is more often. You need to keep some kind of system where you can keep it up-to-date and accurate because if you changed it last week and died this week that doesn't help them if you didn't put that down somewhere that's right so figure out a, a good process and a good system to do that and um, it'll give your executor a lot more uh, options and how they get things done for you
1: there's a system out there that if you're the digital type that I really like it's called pass pack and you can store your passwords out there and then you just have to have a a password to get in there to see what all the rest of them are, and then you can update them as you go. So that's a good way to do digital storage of your passwords and have it be secure. But if not, then just have them written somewhere and then just make sure that somebody knows how to get to them. And we recommend that you update those at least annually. And some people like to tie it to a holiday. Some people like to do it around New Year's, or some people like to tie it to their birthday. But just going to and making sure that you refresh your passwords on an annual basis basis and that they're up to date at that point, at least that frequently is a good idea. Um, The the next thing is that in your financial power of attorney and in your will, we're starting to see language included now that adds power to handle the digital assets. And as this becomes more and more of an issue, that's going to start to get more and more important. So your financial power of attorney that we talked about in the first part of the show, the old ones never mentioned anything about digital assets and the new ones are starting to do that. So here's the deal. If you're someone that has a good will and has a good financial power of attorney in place, but maybe you did them five or ten years ago, if you have accumulated a grouping of digital assets like we've been talking about, I would recommend that you go back and have those documents reviewed to see if that language needs to be included. You know, Kelsey, you mentioned earlier that you have photos and records stored Mm -hmm. in places. So your photo service, I'm assuming, is something that has a password on it. Yes. Okay. And that you have the rights in your name to those photos. Yes. (laughs) So I think a lot of listeners out there, if you didn't have any of the other stuff we were talking about, the photos now are starting to become a big issue, too. And then the online vault where you might keep your records, whatever service you're using to keep your confidential documents on. Again, also, that's your name. That's not something easily transferable without proof that you have the rights to control that. Now, yes, how are they going to know that somebody's passed away? That's a good question for some of these digital things. But rather than fight that battle, it's better to address it ahead of time.
0: It's just like a lot of things that come down to estate planning. You can probably do it after the fact, but it's much easier and less costly to do it ahead of time usually. So uh, keep that in mind And, and don't just think this is for the next generation to figure out. I'm going to speak for myself in this is that my husband doesn't know most of the logins for most of our things. <laughs> um, and that's just the way that we've set up things in our, in our household. So I've told him a couple different times, if something happens to me, talk to this person and go to this spot Yes, <laughs> and those things will, will be available to you and help you. So, uh, Lots of different things that you can do, but keep in mind not everybody has any clue what your logins are, even the person closest to you.
1: We have a lot of people who have in their beneficiary guide or in their estate planning documents it just says go talk to Mary Stirk or Kelsey Banky at Stirk Financial Service for a list of all the investment assets that we have. <laughs> Or the list of insurances that we have. Mm -hmm. Because we house that information when we're doing financial planning for people. And so, you know, at the very least, have a resource like that, like you said, where you Mm -hmm. can point somebody of where to go. Somebody that knows enough about your situation that can make sure you're encompassing everything. Mm
0: -hmm. Absolutely.
1: So, um, one of the things that I think is probably the funniest piece of it, which isn't funny when you're going through it, but it's the safe deposit keys and what to do with them, the safe deposit box keys. And so, you know, think about it. All you listeners out there, did you hide it in a funny place? (laughs) Like you hid it somewhere where you think it's going to be safe and secure, but if nobody knows where you hid your safe deposit key, then nobody's going to find that. (laughs) And a lot of people do something weird, like they put it in the shoe in the back of the closet behind Uncle Bob's old coat. You know, there's, there's, There's places that we hide things that we know in our heads. And truth be told, sometimes even we forget where we hid them. But (laughs) (laughs) those are the kind of things, too, you want to write down for your executor where to find that because it's going to get given away. Um, I have a lot of times people have said they hid things in the pockets of something that was hanging in the back of the closet. And when somebody goes in to clear all that out and give it away to a Goodwill, there goes the safe deposit coat or key right along with it. So that's something also to write down and make sure you communicate with your executor. So, all right. So we've talked about, how to include some of these estate planning um, digital assets in your, in your overall, you know, planning. But we are going to dip into more estate planning information at the seminar that we have coming up. And CERC Financial Services partnered with Western Iowa Tech with WIT, our local junior college, to do a Money Matters seminar series. The first one is coming up on Wednesday, September 20th, and it's about retirement readiness. And we're going to talk about Estate planning when we're in there, and uh, be mentioning some things about these digital assets. So we'd love for you to join us if you can. In the meantime, take the steps necessary to protect those digital assets. Call us and get a copy of the beneficiary guide. And thanks for listening to Money Guide with Mary Stirk.
0: The views expressed are not necessarily the opinion of your audio provider and should not be construed directly or indirectly as an offer to buy or sell any securities or services mentioned herein. Investing is subject to risks, including loss of principal invested past performance is not a guarantee of future results. No strategy can assure a profit nor protect against loss. Please note that individual situations can vary. Therefore, the information should only be relied upon when coordinated with individual professional advice. Securities and investment advisory services are offered through Woodbury Financial Services, Inc., member FINRA, SIPC. Insurance offered through Sterk Financial Services, which is not affiliated with Woodbury Financial. Sterk Financial Services is located at 350 Oak Tree Lane, Suite 150, Dakota Dune, South Dakota, 57049 and can be reached at 605-217-3555.